So when I was uh, in seminary, my first year, um, I had been dating Allie for a while, my wife now of 21 years, and um, Allie and I were, we had started dating while we were at Cedarville, then I went off to grad school in Dallas, and in that process, um, I decided that I was going to come back to Ohio where she was living in the Canal Fulton area, and um, I was going to try to woo her, all right? So, uh, so part of the wooing process was going to be that I was going to get a job in the area, so I, I got a carpentry job job that was in uh, on a, a decking company uh, called Your Backyard in Akron. Um, I'm not receiving any benefits from advertising for them. Uh, but and uh, uh, when I accepted this job, I knew that they knew that I was in school. And I, I could just tell from a distance that they were probably wondering how this was going to work out. So they uh, told me to bring my own hammer uh, to the work site on the first day. It was very early that we started. We were going to be building a deck. And, and so I ran to Home Depot and purchased the cheapest hammer I could get. And then I came in and, and literally like my coworkers just mocked me. They just made fun of me with my little hammer and my like tapping nails, these giant. So they didn't believe in power tools there with this company. And so everything was going to be manual. And the people who'd worked there for years, they're setting these giant nails, one hit. And uh, in fact, uh, you know how people whisper and they think that you can't hear them? Like behind me, I could hear a couple of guys like betting some beers that I wasn't going to last the day. You know, that was like day one for me. And, uh, and so at the end of that day, I came home with blisters and a uh, little discouraged, uh, went to Home Depot, bought a real hammer and uh, ended up having the privilege of working there all summer long. And by the end of the summer, I wasn't nearly as good as those other guys. Um, but what I can say say to you is there was development that happened in my life. I was much better at it after working at it. I, I focused, I, there was a skill that I honed over that time period. And I want to remind you this morning, when it comes to God's word and when it comes to being disciples of Christ, when it comes to being servants of the living God, that he expects you and I to hone the skill of our ability to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And it's going to seem foreign as we study this together. But the Apostle Paul, as we continue through our study through 1 Corinthians, we're going to see him talk about the value of his hard work and the investment in the church. And then he's going to use language like master builder. And he's going to use language that, that talks about, last week we talked about being self-feeders of God's word and growing in our faith. And this week he's going to describe it as us being a part of the building that God's doing to bring himself glory and honor through the local church. And, and so as we look at this together, what we're going to see is that, that how we serve matters. The quality of service that we give to the Lord matters. And his expectation is something that is valuable to me, and that is we can improve in our ability to serve. And so when we talk about ministry and service and we talk about this kind of building, it's important to note we're not talking about a brick and mortar church building. That's not his point. He's talking about spiritually the church that was being established in Corinth that Paul was a part of establishing as the church planter that helped to make it happen. One of the things that we're going to see is that this was always God's work that he was doing in Corinth. That this was always God's movement that he was doing. He's going to be the architect. He's going to be the designer. He's going to be the one who maintains the project. And in this process, we're going to see, though, that the Apostle Paul is consistently saying it is our privilege to give God our best. I saw this on a t-shirt this week, and I thought it was interesting. It says, good work takes hard work. 
And, and then for some of us, when it comes to the church world, I'm afraid that we're a little bit like um, the, the individual that goes to the restaurant and enjoys the incredible meal that, that was prepared for them. And then they, they take that, that bag home after. Do you guys like leftovers? Anybody like leftovers? Uh, I, I hate leftovers. There's a reason why they call it doggy bags, right? You know? So, so, so you know what it was prepared for, right? And then you know what the leftovers are. And I'm afraid when it comes to ministry, and I think Paul's actually going to point this out, that for some of us, what we choose to offer the Lord is what is left over from us. And so when we talk about this, some of you are saying, wait a second, last week you said, you quoted John 15 that says that I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever remains in me and I'm in him, he will bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can't accomplish what? What's he say? Nothing. And so some of you are saying, wait a second, but, but what I want to challenge you in is that, is that for some of us, we're accomplishing nothing because of the fact that we're not abiding in him. Do you understand this? And so what God tells us in Romans chapter two is that he says it's God's loving kindness that leads us to righteousness. And so this challenge this morning, and I think it's gonna come directly from the Apostle Paul, is he's gonna challenge us through the inspired word of God that it is all of our responsibility to build God's church. That we are, you are an essential part of the imperishable church of whom God is the architect. It's so much more than a physical building. And here it's so much more than just the church in Corinth, but it is our privilege to understand what church is and that church is and always has been a team effort. The first point this morning is that building the church is a team effort. And Paul speaks bluntly about the origins and their responsibility in the establishment of the church in Corinth. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as Paul moves from this agricultural image and of an infant growing to now talking about you and I being the physical body of Christ and being built into what God desires for us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That sentence is really important to this message this morning. Is that the apostle Paul is saying, be careful, pay attention, get it right. What it means for you to serve the Lord is something that you require, requires us to take seriously. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want to unpack a few details here. If you look back with me at the verse, obviously this is not talking about brick and mortar buildings, but he's talking spiritually about establishing his church. I think it's beautiful to say, according to the grace of God. This message could be misunderstood if you don't catch that this has always been and will always be based on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us what we don't deserve. He's given us the gospel. The gospel is intended to allow us to understand his forgiveness in such a way that we don't do these acts because we have to, but because of how impacted we've been by his life. Do you guys remember in Isaiah when he stands before the Lord, the Lord purifies him. And then he says, after understanding God's grace, that he says, here I am. What's he say? Send me. Here am I, send me. That's, that's the flow of understanding what it means for us to respond to the Lord's goodness in grace. 
that it's understanding that this is God's work and the foundation is going to be inevitably upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what it says here, when it says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. I'll just tell you, Paul is not bragging when he says this. He's actually honoring the Lord's gifting that he has placed in his life. Paul, you remember when he became a believer, Ananias said to him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Do you guys remember that? And so here Paul is, is going to declare himself to be a church planter. Later in Romans chapter 15 verse 20 he says this, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. So he's an entrepreneur for Christ. Lest I build up on someone else's foundation. And so Paul is a church planter, and God called him to establish churches. And here in, in Corinthians, in Corinth, he helps to establish this baby church that was started by a group of leaders that partnered together. And I'll remind you, church is always a team effort. And so here in this place in Corinth, I want you to see some pictures of modern-day Corinth of, that are still standing after thousands of years. These structures have lasted the test of time, partially because when Paul would have walked through Corinth, he would have seen these incredible buildings. The next, the next image is one of some of the towers that still stand and one of the temples there. And you look at this and, and Paul understood as a master teacher that he's not in an agrarian culture anymore as much as what it would be, but now he can just point to these massive buildings and he can talk about how the body of Christ ought to fit together. And I'll just remind you, church, that church always requires a team. Paul established a number of leaders when he planted this church in Corinth. And uh, we get this glimpse in Acts chapter 18. Some of you remember as we studied Acts together that Paul said these words in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. He says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontius, recently from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, this is, this is incredible. The founding people who helped to establish this church in Corinth had been, uh, um, had been uh, in exile from their homes. They were people on the move. They were, they were forced out of their jobs and their comfort zone. And now God's going to use these people to be the foundations that are going to build on the cornerstone of Christ to establish this church. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. He worked for they were tent makers by trade. And they reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And the great news is they did persuade Jews and Greeks, so much so that now there's a church that was growing in Corinth. And remember, if you've joined us through this prodigal church series, what we're recognizing is this church is not living up to their potential. That God began a great work amongst them and that grew. And then there's reports that have made it back to the Apostle Paul that, that they're not doing the things that God intends for them to do. And I think it's essential for us to understand Paul's argument here is partially to say to them, God has given you gifts and his expectation is that you're going to use them for God's glory. So when the apostle Paul says, I did this with excellence, or I did this with skill, what he's saying is, I just did what God asked me to do. I used his gifts. And I will remind you, brothers and sisters, this morning, that you and I are called uniquely to play a particular part in God's church. 
And we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 later on, some of us complain about what part we've been given. And we say, I want somebody else's part. But God's reminder to us is you have a gift that he's called you to do to help to build his church. And remember, um, I love this image. If you look at this image of these guys working together, that, that part of the, the body of Christ is designed to be something that is not done individually, but it is done in community. And I can remember very vividly on a missions trip, uh, 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 we had these big cinder blocks that we're doing a construction project with. And there was a large group of, of servant leaders that were there that day, but they had to get moved from one part of the field to another. And, and so we started moving these cinder blocks and they're very heavy. And um, over time, what started to happen was people started to get um, get, get frustrated or somebody gets hurt or they need to take a break. And what ends up happening is that over time, the people in this brick brigade, ultimately some of them give up. And so the people who are still there have to work extra hard because the project was too important not to finish. And I think what happens in the local church, look at this next picture. If you think of us like a, a brick wall, that, that as he uses this image of building, that, that if you start to take bricks, any, anybody play Jenga? You guys know that game, Jenga? No, you guys don't know? You guys need to get out more. Okay, okay, a couple of you. Okay, so, so Jenga is this little wooden blocks and you build and you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so, so the thing that happens in the local church, I believe, is that God has intended for us to be gifted and to be used by the Lord and to help to establish the church that he is universally bringing glory and honor to himself. And when a person is removed from that, whether they choose to, to no longer be a part of it or whether they get frustrated, give up, whatever it is, what ends up happening is the structural integrity of the whole thing starts to shift, right? And I want to remind you that when you are not a part of the body of Christ, that it suffers because of it. When you choose to not participate in the body of Christ, what ends up happening is sometimes other people step up. And at other times, what ends up happening is things get neglected that are really important. And I think what the Apostle Paul is looking at here in this, in this early church is that they were a group of people that had been uniquely called and gifted by God to advance his kingdom, but ultimately some of them were forgetting to take care of what it meant for them to build. Verse 10, like it said, let each one take care of how he builds on it. And I believe that this is every believer's responsibility. I have a, a wonderful pastor friend. His name's Ron Morris, and he pastors at another Hope Church in uh, downtown Cleveland. And he, he's a wonderful man, super wise. And he used this illustration recently in a setting that I was in, and it really impacted me. And he said, you know, can you imagine like your dining table in your family? Do you, do you guys have family dinner? I hope you do. We, we love family dinner um, in the Brennan household. And we sit at the table and we share together and we listen and it's just, it's engaging. And, and what Ron, Ron challenged me to think about is he said that, that what's happening right now for some people uh, that are choosing to separate or not be a part of church, and he's not just talking about his church, we're talking about the church universal that, that what happens is it's like a person who, can you imagine one of your kids? I have three daughters. Um, they're all teenagers now. You can pray for me. And uh, that, that, that one of them says, hey, I, I'm just going to have my meal in my room today. Uh, now, now, we understand. There's times when you're sick. We, we understand. I mean, breakfast in bed. Who doesn't like that, right? 
But, but what we miss out on then is we miss out on the privilege of doing community together, right? It's isolated. And, and his point is that he's saying, we, we understand that in church land that there's options and we understand that there's other ways to connect these days and we're thankful for technology. But I want to remind you, church, that, that God has intended for you to not do church like a movie theater. He has intended for you to be intimately involved in what happens in the church. And so you can't really do that when you're taking the meal in your own room. Do you understand? And I think that that challenge for us is that we, we want to recognize that God is asking of us to be builders, investing in one of our core values as a church. It was so interesting. Our elders, we were praying through, Lord, what do you have for us? What are you asking of us? And one of our core values early on when this church was planted was a statement about serving the body. We serve one another. We serve the church and I find that to be a very interesting concept, and I recognize that that's a part of what God is asking of each one of us, to, to be people who fill those gaps uh, because of the fact that we have made ourselves available and said, here I am, send me. Here I am, use me. Lord, I want to give you not my leftovers, but I want to give you my best. I look at the simple parable of Matthew 22, verse 9. You guys will remember this story. It's a kind of an awkward one because Jesus tells the story of a man who throws this great party, a wedding banquet, and, and no one shows up to his party. And, there, and there's a part where you kind of read it, and you're like, oh, that'd be just so terrible. But then the story goes on that then he, he goes on the corner and he invites others to come in and fill the seat of those who've missed the banquet. And I'll just tell you, in church land right now, uh, not just at Hope Church, but everywhere, this whole normalcy thing has changed so much that I feel like one of the things that God may be asking of us to do is to continue to sit at the banquet and to ask him to continue to speak to us and move in our lives. But for some of us, I also think that Lord, the Lord's probably going to ask us to help to pursue other people and to be a part of inviting others to sit at the feet of his banquet. It's very intriguing to me that we are told in this passage, um, if you look back in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I want you to just hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, 19, when he talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. And it's important for us to remember when we talk about Christ being the cornerstone, that we're saying he is the most important part of any building project. He is essential. And this is before you could lay concrete, and foundations and rebar and all of those. This is this precious thing that is secure. You, you guys have seen the, the, the images of the Florida uh, apartment complex, right? That, that didn't have a firm foundation, that the rebar started to fall apart and the devastation. We look at all of that afterwards and we say, how did that happen, right? It had to be, like, it had to be avoidable, right? And here, what we learn is God's church always has been and will always need to be established firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of this truth in Ephesians 2.19. It says this, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love that verse. We're adopted in, we're connected together because of Christ Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together 
grows into a holy temple to the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's beautiful. What it's saying there is God, God, Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 28, verse 16. It says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. So the cornerstone is inevitably the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and the recognition that he has bought us with a price and redeemed us. And when we're redeemed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is expected of us is that we participate in helping to advance the church that is his bride. You understand that? And and so we celebrate the fact that we're established on the gospel. And I'll just tell you that anything, we we talked last week about, about being in environments where they've chosen to disregard the truth of God's word. You can teach for an hour and, and, and remember, we talked about cotton candy, right? You can teach for an hour and it never have any real substance because it lacks the reality of the truth of God's word. And I'll just also say this, in our day and age, I think that it's possible to have a building that looks like a church, but is not a church because of the fact that its foundation is not on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I think of, of examples. You, you look at the YMCA. You guys, you guys go by YMCAs all the time. If you, and you know, it's a great song to sing at weddings, right? But, but, the, but the, the, the purpose behind the YMCA as it was established by George Williams in 1844 in England to be a lighthouse for the sake of the gospel in that community that was around him, that, that it was so much more than a gym. It was so much more than a place to work out. It was so much more because Christ was at the foundation of it But over time, somehow that drifted away from being its priority and its focus. And I'll just remind you, the Lord Jesus Christ has been and always will be the cornerstone of God's church. And God's church is going to continue to be built by men and women who are faithful to obedience, to follow the Lord's leadership. And you and I get the privilege of building on the foundation of other faithful leaders that have gone before us. The Apostle Paul's one. He talks about this legacy that he leaves behind with the church in Corinth. I helped you to establish it and other people have picked up the baton for me and they're carrying this baton on to what's next. And he's gonna focus in then on how to finish well and redeem the prize that God has for us for those of us who've lived faithfully in obedience to what God wants for us. And, and he's gonna put it this way. He's gonna challenge us. The quality of our ministry is important. These next verses mean so much to me. I'm telling this story to my friends and my family. And the reason why is that I want you to know as I read these verses that I want to be a person who invests his life in things that are going to last eternally. And the Apostle Paul describes this. I hope that's your story as well. He's going to describe the fact that there's things that we can invest in, that we can build on that are temporary. He's going to talk about wood and straw and hay. And, and, and it's ironic, isn't it, that Paul was a tent maker. And a tent maker in a time period where that has involved skins of animals and fabrics and wood. And, and basically, it's all temporary, right? By definition, tent making. But, but what he's saying to us is, you want to be a part of things that are eternal. You want to be a part of things that last forever. And in our context, we understand that there's only two eternal things. That is the God of the universe and people, right? 
And, and so he's saying, you want to invest in what is eternal. And he says it this way. I love it. And he says now in verse 12 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Now if anyone builds on the foundation, remember the foundation is Christ, established by church planters, like in our context, a history of people who've gone before us. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, there's a quality that he describes this, or wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will be obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. What is he talking about here? He's actually talking about something we'll see during the Olympics here in a few days. And that is that there's this moment when a person who competes according to the rules receives an honor that recognizes, well done, you did it, you accomplished it, you succeeded. And for many of us in our spiritual lives, we say, how can this be a part of the Christian life that God rewards people who serve him well? Yes, he actually does. But it's never about our glory. It's always about his glory. And so this, this recognition of faithful servants, there's two giant judgments that are coming. And, and it's not my idea. This is God's idea. The first is going to be a judgment that's called the great white throne judgment. And that is for people who've rejected the gospel or have not experienced the truth of the gospel in their own life. And that one is frightening. That one holds every human being up to the perfect standard of the Lord Jesus Christ and allows them to be judged on their own merits. And I promise you that without Christ, we all fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. And so when we talk about the great white throne judgment, it is important for us to understand that's different than this judgment. This is called the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And it's described throughout scripture in a way for us to understand that God will evaluate the quality of the kind of ministry that we've done for him in our life. And he will evaluate if his loving kindness has led us to righteousness in our life, that, that we've produced a fruit in our life that comes from abiding with him and producing fruit that change, changes the world that's around us. And it's important for us to understand that this description of the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema is one that we don't need to look at with dread, but instead that it allows us to recognize that we will be able to allow God to look at what we've invested our lives in. And I hope and pray that the things that I've invested my life in are things that are going to have eternal impact, that there's going to be an in eternal understanding of lives that have been impacted because of the fact that we've focused in on what is most important. It's important for us to understand that this is not about a person's salvation that's a believer. In fact, it, when he describes that kind of weird thing at the end about being snatched as if from the fire, he's saying that, that as a Christ follower clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that, that God's grace is sufficient for us. In Romans, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not about earning our salvation. It's always been about grace. But it's important for us to understand that there will be a recognition of the kind of ministry that we've done in our lives. And I, I want to say this in this way. Uh, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll, in, in a book that's impacted me that I recommend, it's called Improving Your Serve. 
Um, he says that now he's not talking about this kind of serve, right? Um, he's talking about the kind of serve that is being a minister of the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully, humbly serving him. He says this uh, in this book um, by Improving Your Serve by Chuck Swindoll. He says, biblical servanthood means that we value others as more important than ourselves. We pursue others instead of waiting to be pursued. We forgive and forget their offenses and we eclipse them with love instead of always thinking about receiving, we'll start to look for ways to give. Instead of holding grudges against those who offend us, we will be anxious to forgive. And instead of keeping a record of what we've done or who we've helped, we'll take delight in forgetting the deeds and be virtually unnoticed. Our hunger for public recognition will diminish in its significance. I love this story of a, of a father who, at a later in his age, his son developed something that kept him from being able to speak any longer. And he could only speak through sign language. And his father doesn't know sign language. But, but it's too important for him not to understand sign language. So he goes through the process and studies and learns. Why? So that he can communicate with his son because it's precious to him, Right? And so for you and I, when we wrestle with what kind of skill that God asks for us in ministry, that part of it is just like, how, how can I not give him my best? How can I not focus in on giving him my first fruits? How can I not understand what it means for me to do those things? This is the way James describes this judgment seat. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, the man and woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's James 1, verse 12. These crowns are described in detail in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and James 1, 1 Peter, Revelation. And, and it's just not about salvation. It's about recognizing that he desires for us to give him his best. So our work will be exposed. It will literally be revealed and I believe that it's important for us to understand what we have invested our lives in will ultimately be exposed. You and I have the privilege in our culture today to work to try to build our own kingdom, uh, whether it's our own material blessings, whether it's our own, uh, what kind of car we drive, what, whatever it is. Like we, we have the ability to advance and there's wonderful gift in that. But, but I wanna remind you that that the things that we are investing in, some of them are very temporary, right? The, the things that moth and rust will at some point destroy. But, but there's also the privilege for us to invest in the only two things that are eternal, the God of the universe and the people who are image bearers of the living God. They are eternal. And I think that when he talks about those perishable things that will burn up, Paul got tense. He understood that his work was not a masterpiece that was going to carry on from generation to generation. But I will tell you that he understood the fact that the people he was pouring into were going to be internal. So if it's imperishable, it will last for eternity. This fire of God's judgment is not something that's consuming in a devastating way, but it's one that reveals what's truly there. So we can apply this simple truth to our lives that if Christ is at the foundation, it is inevitable that God's desire for us would be that we build on the foundation of those who've gone before us that have served faithfully. And instead of watching these chaplain towers in, South, uh, in Surfside, Florida, 
where the foundation isn't there and the, the corrosion leads to destruction and devastation and death, that God has come that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly and that we might be a part of being ambassadors for that simple truth. And so I, I encourage you to consider what kind of legacy that your life is leaving right now. I believe our lives ought to be the type that leave eternal legacies. Anybody watch the, the movie Schindler's List? It's an intense movie. Uh, the complexity of that movie. I'm not sure if I'm recommending it, but there's this scene at the end of that movie where Oscar Schindler, you may know the story, he's a businessman that had run a factory that ultimately by sacrificing his profits, he ended up saving some 1,500 people who, um, who were Jews that were in an occupied territory. Um, and, and this story is incredible. There's this moving scene at the end of the movie where he's looking at his car and his other things and he's, he's seeing that that, that might have been one more person that he could have saved or that might have been one more person that he could have... And it's, it's this incredible moment. But, but I think as Christ followers, there's a part of this that we ought to be moved in that same just, just part of our souls that says, what am I investing in? What, what is this legacy that I'm going to leave behind? And I have great news for you. The third point this morning is that this really is God's work. Um, that God will ultimately build his church. And I'm so thankful for that. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let me just remind you, church, that God is the architect of this thing. And later in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11, when we see Paul's work in Acts described in Corinth, um, it's, it's powerful to see this. One, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. These are the very people that are going to become the foundation of the church at Corinth. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Some of you heard me mention last week that we're praying for a sister church of ours in Lodi, part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, where a person attempted to build down, or burn down their brand new church building. And I'll just tell you, we, we hear that story, and it's devastating. But let me just remind you that there's nothing that can destroy the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that we're told that the gates of hell will not, prevail about him, um, will not prevail against his church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, yes, that person may have tried to do something that was evil and it did impact those lives and our hearts are heavy for those people. And you read um, stories of, of individuals who are Christ followers around the world that are being persecuted. But let me just remind you, we're on the winning team, right? And let me just remind you that as we talk about him being not only the architect of his church, but also the one who continues to be its primary caretaker, that we find ourselves recognizing this has always been and always will be God's work that he's inviting us to join him in. Verse 18 goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, let no one deceive himself. 
If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Remember, this theme is going to be one that's going to be woven through Corinthians that Paul is talking about us being fools for Christ, that the world doesn't understand it. Those who are not believing, they consider the truth of the gospel as foolishness. And Paul is embracing that stance. Verse 19, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and that they are futile. Verse 21, worldly wisdom always falls short. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Remember, he always goes back to these three because he's saying it doesn't matter who you came to Christ under. It doesn't matter who was the founding pastor of your church. It doesn't matter that history. That doesn't define who you are. What matters is the cornerstone, right? What matters is if it was built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, for the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God. Isn't that great news? And so what, what he's saying here is, you can't stop God's church. There's nothing that can get in the way with it and of it. And, and, and for some of us, I think we find ourselves at times discouraged from the church. Some of you have reached out to me. You may, you may look at budget numbers or at times you look at something and you say, is God's church going to be okay? And I, I just want to remind you that it is and always has been his church. And he continues to provide and to sustain his church because it's his bride. Isn't that great? And the, the mission that God has given us is still to continue to represent his loving kindness here in this community. And we all believe that there's more work still for us to do. So God is, our prime, is the primary caretaker of his church. He says, I will build my church in Matthew 16, verse 18, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But God gives you and I the privilege, and he expects us to take good care of his church. I'm going to ask you three quick questions that are designed to help to apply this truth. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. What specific gifting do you believe that God has given you? Are you investing your gifts in what is eternal? Are you investing in what is temporary? What needs do you see in our church? And has God asked you to invest in those areas? And then what specific steps can you take this week to intentionally grow in your ability to serve. It matters what we're investing in. I love this picture. This is in modern day Turkey. And um, I want you to see this. It's, I've, I've been to this place and it's incredible. Underneath one of the largest cities in Turkey, um, these giant pillars are here. And if you tour these pillars, um, they're from all over the ancient world. And what was done was that when they conquered peoples, they would take these massive pillars, like what we saw in Corinth. In fact, Corinthian pillars are there in this aqueduct that's under the city. And, and so there's, there's some from all over the ancient world. And then above it, there's the thriving city that's above it. And it's been the foundation of these pillars have become a foundation. And they're eclectic. They're from all over the place. And I, I love this image that I think this is what God wants to do with his church is he wants us to be a group of people that have gathered together and that he wants to support and build a thriving church on the backs of people. Some of us from different places around the world, different backgrounds, different experiences, different history. But what he wants us to do is to be a part of allowing ourselves to be those who've been fit and built together to do something that would be impossible for us to do on our own. And the way we do that is by having Christ be 
our precious cornerstone. The song that we're about to sing uh, summarizes this message up beautifully. I'm going to invite you to stand together with us as we respond to the Lord. And I pray that these lyrics of this song represent your heart and that we can declare this together, what it means for, for us to walk in obedience with the Lord.